Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. Ah, <laughs> it's like we're back to normal. Haven't we learned our lesson about sound effects? <laughs> oh, sorry uh, about that. <laughs> uh, in this episode, we are going to talk about singleness. And there's only one of us here that is single. So I guess it's just going to be me talking the whole time, right? <laughs> Sounds good. Actually, no. Tim read a book about uh, the seven myths of singleness. So he's going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give color commentary. Uh, so anyway, but before, before that, how are we doing? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. What's going on? I ran out of podcast content this week. What? Yeah. I was like for listening my own self. Oh, so I, I caught up on our episodes and then all the shows I caught up on. So anyways, I was looking around and Iowa regular Baptist camp has a podcast feed and it's just all the camp speakers. Hmm. So anyways, I hopped on there and I'd like to give a shout out to Cody Huber. So he spoke, this is, I don't know, a couple of weeks back. Was it junior high? Do you, do you know? I think it was junior yeah, he, high. Yeah, he's at junior was, high. Yep. He was at junior high. And uh, I saw Cody and he's been a student of mine. And and I was like, oh, I'll listen to his his talk. And so I just went to his last one and it was really good listeners. So he, it was interesting. He was talking about when he was in high school, he hated school and he didn't want to try. Um, but then when he got a car, he was threatened to lose the car if he didn't keep his grades up and he said, I immediately got on the honor roll (laughs) (laughs) and his point was he was going to Romans eight. I think I didn't get all the way through it. He said, when you love something, there's a byproduct. Okay. You have an affection for something and that produces byproducts in your life. And he says, I loved my freedom. I loved my car. I loved being able to go places. And that created the byproduct of, I was willing to do hard things and obey so I could have the thing I wanted. And then he transitions junior hires. You need the proper affections in your life. Mm -hmm. If you don't have those, they're going to be, there's going to be byproducts in your life. And uh, so loving God needs to be the one affection that drives everything. And then that produces obedience. And I thought he got the order right. And it was just ministering to my soul. So anyways, uh, a little shout out to Cody. You mean that there are certain affections that are proper. Yes. And ordered. certain affections that aren't proper. Possibly. Maybe even the ones that are disordered or out of order might even be called maybe passions. So. Ooh. That... I should actually, hold on. I, if we're talking Cody, I gotta tell a story. So in Greek, <laughs> in Greek class, he picked, maybe I shouldn't tell this. Story. What? His Hebrew, her, his Greek name? His Greek name. I'm pretty sure I remember he picked He picked the word in Greek that would be translated in three different ways commonly. That or since or because. Oh, so, dear. So Charlie, what's that Greek word? Hati. Yes, Hati. And he did it so that every time he asked a question, I would call him and say, yes, Hati. Or I'd say, Hati. And then he'd be, well, thank you. And it was like I was complimenting him. What a punk. So after I gave him a shout out, I guess I just made fun of him. But anyways, it was nourishing to my soul. He has different So what was that thing about now. proper affections? Well, he has different ones now. He's grown. Oh, okay. he, he's, he's a work in progress <laughs> like all of us. <laughs> He's growing. It's good. Hey, you know what? As someone whose Greek and Hebrew name was very important to them, you know. I know. I, I mean, let's not talk Greek names, Charlie. <laughs> a sweet smelling aroma. Anyway. Of an office, maybe? So we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let, let's talk about that book, Tim. Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Alberry. I've been uh, working on a paper and singleness and marriage is connected to it, particularly the complexities of marriage and how it makes a person's life just more complex. Uh, And that's one of the advantages of singleness is the lack of uh, complexity. And Alberry hits on that. But the seven myths, I guess maybe I'll start by just uh, reading, reading through them all. Singleness is too hard. Uh, Number two, singleness requires a special calling. Uh, Three, singleness means no intimacy. Singleness means no family. Singleness hinders ministry. Singleness wastes your sexuality. And singleness is easy. So those are his seven myths. 
So uh, in the singleness is too hard section, he kind of goes through uh, Matthew 19, particularly the section where Jesus, um, you know, the Jesus takes a very high view of divorce to which the disciples then respond If such as the case of a man with his wife it is better not to marry. And they're like, man, it's like better not to marry. And, uh, and so he uh, kind of expounds upon that. And he's like, Oh, wow, man, a proper view of marriage should actually cause unmarried people to consider uh, more seriously what they're agreeing to. Uh, and that was actually a good and good input there. Um, and so uh, that's kind of what I had uh, right there. His big, his big emphasis that he does make throughout is that uh, singleness has the advantage of advantage of alleviating an individual from the worldly troubles uh, that uh, encumber uh, a married couple. Uh, that is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians seven twenty eight. He brings that point up on multiple different occasions, and justly so. He brings it up on page uh, 28 and 29. I think that might be the first time that he brings it up, but I remember him mentioning that point um, uh, at, at multiple times. His section on singleness requires a special calling. That one kind of, and people talk about like the gift of singleness, and I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily convinced of his uh, singleness requires a special calling. Uh, what he was trying to do basically is to destigmatize the whole idea of sting- of singleness. Uh, for example, um, he lists out several uh, problems with this way of thinking. Uh, for his first one is it is ultimately another way of denying the intrinsic goodness of singleness. It's like, oh, you have a special calling, uh, so that it's it's not good in some way. I didn't really buy that one as much. Um, it didn't seem too compelling to me. His second one, it encourages bitterness rather than the pursuit of godly contentment. So it's like, ah, oh, man, I'm stuck with this godly calling or this calling to singleness. Um, and so it can kind of foster a type of bitterness in an individual. Uh, number three, it unwitting, unwittingly uh, permits disobedience. So like, what if certain singles are convinced they don't have the gift of singleness, yet find themselves in a situation where the only opportunities for a romantic relationship involve sin? So uh, Alberry is also interacting with um, uh, people with same-sex uh, desire, same-sex desire, and, and so uh, it, it could unwittingly permit disobedience is his third point. Number four, it's hard to see why someone should not apply the same logic to marriage. Uh, that was his same point. Uh, and that's where, again, you know, like in 1 Corinthians 7, it presents, well, somebody has like a, a gift, or if you want to call it a calling, a gift to singleness, well, a gift or a calling to marriage. Yeah. And so interesting. it's not, I don't see really a distinction between these two things. If God has has uh, called you to a life of singleness, will you use that gift, that calling uh, for the glory of God? If somebody has given you, if God has given you the gift, the calling of marriage, then you use that gift, that calling to the glory of God. So I, this whole uh, section on the singleness requires a special calling. I didn't really find that compelling. Can I ask you a question? Go for it. Is he saying that he thinks singleness requires a special calling, or is he saying he doesn't like it when people say that? I was having a hard time following. He's saying it's not a special calling? It's not a special okay, calling. Okay, thank you. That, that, I just want to confirm. Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. I see it more as a special calling. You do? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, just from reading First uh, Corinthians 7, my interpretation there, um, Martin Luther is kind of interesting going back in time and seeing his perspective uh, with all of the monks and the nuns. And I recently read The Estate of Marriage by Martin Luther. He says some wild things in there, but. Dude, uh, he says a lot of wild things. Yeah. He says some good stuff, man. Yeah, when he, he had some good when stuff. He's, when he's in left field, it's like. It's left field. Lutheran left field. Yeah, yeah. What, well, like weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, but one of his points was most people need to marry. That's what uh, he was. Um, I mean, but if you look back in his world and what he was uh, doing, he was going into these Catholic monks and nunneries and basically marrying everybody off because they were living in sexual sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so he's like, you know what? Everybody needs to just go get married. There are very few people that have this special calling, this gift of singleness. So 
if you want a, a different perspective, you can read The Estate of Marriage by Martin Luther. So can I just, for the listeners, you're, you're looking at 1 Corinthians 7, 7, where Paul says, I wish that all were as I am myself, and he was unmarried at the time. And then it says, but each has his own gift from God, mm-hmm. one of one kind, one of another. So mm-hmm. you would say right there, he's talking about whether you're married or mm-hmm. unmarried, and he's calling it a gift. Right. Okay. All right. That makes sense. I see what you're saying. Singleness is a gift. Marriage, marriage is a gift. Is a gift. Okay. It's okay. It's, so like, huh? In the same, so like, would you, would you put that in the same category as like, we speak of like someone's called to be a pastor. Or just a providential calling in that God has called an individual to a life of singleness. Yeah. And I, th- I don't know. I, I think we could go down this road quite a bit because I, I, I kind of like the idea that either you are this one or this one. It's not like you have like a special anointing, you know, like you are now specially empowered to be single person. Um you know, it's like you are single. So that idea is actually one of the ideas he interacts with someplace in the book about how uh, singleness seems to be some superhero ability. Like, well, oh, it's that chapter, isn't it? It may be that chapter. Um, I had some other dog-eared pages on this, and um, but he does he does reference that idea. And, and I think so. I I kind of like his balance where he's, you know, I, I I'm not sure I can. I've I've never really been convinced exegetically of like, look, singleness is a special gift or empowering. It's like the person who's not married. So it's funny. Ooh, sorry, like I'm really God close. doesn't specially anoint people to then be content in marriage. They get married. You know what I mean? Like the trying to like mysticize or spiritualize like now that you're married, you have this extra thing because you're married and to be married like special calling gifting set type of that, that language can be, I, I, I understand what I think he's trying to do there, but I don't know. We could talk more about that. So the, the normal wisdom order of creation, you know, God gave reproductive organs to individuals for the purpose of reproducing. And that's done within the bounds of Christian marriage. And so that's the, um, the, the, the normal calling Mm-hmm. gifting for most people. So this would be a special gifting or calling for specific individuals that is usually connected to some specific ministry or uh, task which God has laid before that individual. So I would see it along those lines. So this is funny. I was just, you know, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 7, 7, and it says each has his own gift. And I thought, oh, I'll look up the word gift in Greek, see what word mm-hmm. that is. Do you guys know? It's like charis, isn't it? It's charisma. Mm-hmm. It's not charis, it's charisma. And so I look it up, and definition one is the, uh, the earthly goods bestowed by God. So like things that you're given, like that you need. But then it's the second definition, special gifts of a non-material sort bestowed through God's generosity on individual Christians. You have the gift of spe- carrying out special tasks mediated, mediated by the laying on of hands in 1 Timothy 4.14 and 2 Timothy 1.6, of the power to be content in sexual matters, 1 Corinthians 7.7, 7, of spiritual gifts in a special sense, and then it re- looks at the gift lists of Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really interesting that like all of those would be, I don't know how to say it, like situational. Yeah. Like what you're saying, like, Hey, you yeah, get married, so, no, you, you're, you're gifted for this. So if you are take that, that's the huh. one where he recites this passage. Yeah. So like, so I think what Tim, you are advocating for is that there is a unique <clears throat> yeah. gift for someone who's meant to be single. Yes. So then there's a category of people that are currently single who are not to remain single because they don't have that gift. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that are, and that would be what the author here is trying to remove. It's like, he doesn't like that. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Sorry. That was, I know that was a rabbit trail, but I thought that was helpful to think that to, to clarify. Hopefully it's just a single rabbit trail. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. I'm not saying anything else. Tim, keep talking about your book. Okay. So hopefully it's a single. uh, Hopefully that's, 
two points, so one for each two. rabbit ear. That was good. <laughs> so two problems arise if we continue to think about singleness as being a special kind of calling. First, it will make large numbers of single people feel as though life hasn't started yet. So we read that last part one more. It will make large numbers of single people feel as if life hasn't started yet. It's like, I'm not married. I'm supposed oh, to marry. Okay. My life hasn't begun yet. Gotcha. Okay, so that's a feeling that could materialize. Now, I would just push back and just be like, no, I don't think that needs to be the case. If that person feels that way, then they need to realize that the season of life is something that God has given them where they can use even their temporary singleness mm -hmm. for the glory of God. Yeah, the sovereignty of God. Yeah. Would, infusing this whole discussion with providence and the right. sovereignty of God really right. would help help it out. So he states, they're single, but don't perceive themselves as having the gift of singleness. So they're in like this limbo state. So number two, second, it can lead to undue pressure to get married, especially for those single people not perceived to have that gift. If you're single and don't have the gift of singleness, then you're not pulling your weight. You should get be married by now. So there's like this undue pressure to get married. So then this then uh, launches into a very interesting quote. Uh, one prominent Christian leader recently made the following remarks about singleness. I'm going to read this. <clears throat> Let me tell you the most devastating attack on marriage today is coming from singleness. Singleness is an assault on marriage. Marriage is the grace of life. As a pastor, I tell my people, look, if it keeps going this way, I'm going to line all the girls on one side, all the guys on the other. We're going to just match you up and have a huge wedding. <laughs> Can't, wait, 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 wait. Can we try to guess who said that? Yeah, who? Doug Wilson? No. That sounds like Doug Wilson. <laughs> Charlie, you got a guess? No. It's John MacArthur. Oh, my word. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, okay, look, if, if there's anyone who's going to say it like that, that, that's not, okay, that's not surprising. I just figured that was like uh, the, the post mill. That seems like live, a really laugh. strange fire coming from him. <laughs> Live, laugh, feast, kind of, or fight, laugh, fight, feast, laugh, whatever it is. Oh, okay, I'm going to finish the quote. This oh escalating word. self, okay, this is an important part of his quote okay. of what MacArthur states. This escalating self-preoccupation, personal ambition, personal development oh. Oh. that creates a kind of terminal singleness is devastating on obviously the family. I just see singleness as a disaster. Oh, he, that, that. Do you think that's fair? I think that's. I think it is. That, fair. That's the side of singleness where, like, you you are self consumed. You're living for yourself, yes. and it's not a gift to God. It's no. selfishness. Right now, Alberry does not like this at all. So then he states, "This the speaker is expressing a godly concern, albeit in very poorly chosen language. Many mm. people today are delaying marriage for entirely selfish reasons. Okay, and so what he wants to do is say, listen, the problem that people." that singles are singles because they're selfish and they need to deal with their selfishness. And then he goes on and, and talks about that. Uh, the underlying problem is not with singleness, but with selfishness. He states yeah. that specifically on page 45. I completely agree. But here's the, what would be maybe a very practical way that a person that is selfish could deal with their selfishness, particularly if they are of marriageable age and maybe even very well beyond marriageable age. What's a very practical thing that they could perhaps do to work through this this sin of selfishness? I don't know. Get married. Uh, it, I mean, if you're like, would, you know what, I'm going to humble myself and I am going to marry this individual and serve them and love this woman as as Christ loved the church. And that would be an act yes. of selfishness yep. to covenant to do yep. so. So if you had that mindset, that would be true. The problem is those guys don't. Is, no, no, no. Well, I'm going to say the problem is there are many selfish married people. So mm -hmm. that's to say marriage, I, I would say that just getting married to solve the selfishness mm -hmm. problem would never work. You have right. to see it and humble yourself. So right. I would agree with that. But, but I would say if I knew two people who were utterly selfish and said, you guys should get married. So you become more less, you become less selfish. That's, that's not, it could be an occasion God could use very effectively. But again, mm -hmm. it comes down to humbling yourself. Hashtag Charlie's discipleship book. So singleness requires a special calling. That was chapter two. Chapter three, uh, mean, singleness means no intimacy. 
Uh, so uh, a couple of the chapters he talks about, this one and the next one, singleness means no family. Um, talk, basically, he's talking about how you you still have relationships and you have friendships as a single individual. In fact, sometimes those relationships are much deeper. He quotes Lewis. Um, uh, the least natural of loves, the least instinctive, organic, biological, gregarious, and necessary, the species biologically considered has no need of it. Friendship. Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's good. And, and that was a quote from Lewis. Uh, in his book. So, Quoting the four loves. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was a quote of the four loves. Uh, so singleness means no family is the next chapter. I'm dealing with these two basically together. Um, this chapter I kind of had mixed feelings about, but um, at, at the beginning I didn't really care for it because I didn't like how he was symbolizing the family. But really as I read through it, there's a ton of... Um, metaphor in the Old and New Testament, particularly the New Testament, that the church is a family. Uh, and so I, I really think it is, he convinced me, it is a valid um, analogy. Singleness means no family. No, you do have a family. Your family mm -hmm. is the church of God. Amen. And that's where your relationship is. That's where you're pouring your life into. And um, and so he makes a very strong case there. He deals with hospitality in this chapter. He quotes Rosaria Barterfield and what genuine hospitality is. And he has a lot of really good illustrations of church church people who were who have been hospitable to him. Some people just give him a key to their house, and he has a place where he can stay at any time. Uh, and and it was a it was a good chapter. Okay, and then uh, singleness hinders ministry. Uh, he had a very even approach, even approach to this. Uh, I thought this chapter again was uh, very good. This gets into kind of the article that you were uh, writing on uh, Charlie. So he he deals specifically why don't any past why don't why doesn't it, why don't any churches hire single pastors? And he had a very even um, explanation and gave several different reasons why churches aren't interested in a single pastor. Um, his one section is in, is specifically stated, do pa pastors have to be married? And he states, no, they don't. Um, but can single pa pastors serve, uh, serve married people? And they can, but it's going to be dif uh, different. So anyway, I thought that was still a really good ch chapter. Then chapter six, he talks about singleness wastes your sexuality. And this chapter, he's really hype. Um, highlighting on how sexuality is something that's temporal. And too often within our culture, sexuality is not viewed as something uh, so momentary. But God designed our bodies as sexual bodies. Um, but at, in the eschaton, uh, that is not a component of our expression. So uh, he had one statement in here that was particularly good. Uh, for a lot of this chapter, I didn't really care for how... <laughs> allegorized he made sexuality <laughs> i'm just like yeah. wastes your sexuality can, can um, we pause for just a moment go ahead has he ever commented on the the song of solomon do oh, you know no. like what his interpretation on the song would be oh no not at okay. all not necessarily here but just in general like if he if in this chapter if he's like really allegorizing like sexual desire I would just be really curious to see what he does. If he took a literal interpretation. I would love to see what he does with the song. But. Our marriages are therefore temporal and momentary on page 119. Which is true. It is true. And as married individuals, we need to remember that in the eschaton, people are not married or given in marriage. Uh, we are uh, individuals uh, serving our Lord. And then on page 120, this I thought had a really nice punch to it. Singleness for us now is also a way of, uh, sorry, uh, like Jesus, we can live in a way that anticipates what is to come. Singleness now is a way of saying that this future reality is so certain and so good that we can embrace it now. Hmm. It is a way of declaring to a world obsessed with sexual and romantic intimacy that these things are not ultimate and that in Christ we possess what is. Wow! Amen. I thought that was an awesome. That is point. really good. Say, you know what? I'm not. I'm not stuck being single. I'm not. Mm -hmm. It's like 
I am single because I'm living in anticipation of the day when everybody is single. Hmm. And, and just a hmm. smack in the face of our sex, romantic, saturated culture and just say that is not that important. Wow. So I really liked that quote on page 120. And, uh, but still, he has that in the section, sex, singleness wastes your sexuality. It's just like, well, okay, that's kind of an interesting twist. He's not wasting his sexuality. He's showing the proper place of sexuality yeah. in the ordering of Christian affections yeah. by denying himself it. Mm-hmm. But in our culture today, saying it that way yeah. would probably be proper. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. today, what is the singular thing? <laughs> pun intended, ah. that most people are living for in that time of life and actually yeah. our culture. Yeah. In fact, that's the thing that our culture would say is worth wrecking a marriage over yes. so that you can be fulfilled. Yeah. So, and that, that's, that's quality. Well, I mean, that's pushing would, back against the wave of culture. Right? Why would God give someone a desire if he didn't want them to act on it? I mean, have you ever heard someone tell you yes. that? Like, oh yeah. I know this is God's will. Why, yeah. would give me, why would God let me have the desire? Why would he put that desire in my heart? If he didn't want me to do that. Man, having um, um, uh, a confusion about <laughs> yeah. how God leads and thinking that God leads through your desires mm-hmm. is one of those handicaps that not only handicaps you, but it blinds you to the problem. It's like when you let your heart take the place of your head. I know. Man. Oh, man. Wow. Man, that was... Ooh, anyway. This is good. Okay, so the last chapter is singleness is easy. In this chapter, I didn't like it. It's it's basically going through all of the different areas that singles struggle with. Like, um, it's just, I'm never going to have any children. I'm never going to have somebody to come home to at night. I'm never going to da, 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 da. So he basically um, is trying to connect with the fears and challenges of singles, but it felt instead like a, um, a pity party <laughs> or, I mean, he didn't intend it that way, but I just, I didn't, I mean, I recognized what he was trying to do. Um, but, but it, it felt too much for me. Like he, hmm. it, it, it created instead of a, the God focus, it's just like the, the weight of all of the burdens that singles have to bear. Uh, here in this world. And, and so it left me more with a, a burden instead of uh, the, the freedom hmm. in Christ that, that a lot of the other book uh, gave. So that's just my perception of it. I don't want to, uh, and, and I think, I don't have to be careful, but I know some singles and I would say that they would probably resonate with that chapter. Yes. And I also know married people who stupidly and i'll say it that way yeah look at singles and think man it's so much easier for you because they're so self-absorbed and they haven't stopped to think like what kind of struggles and difficulties do you go through so i wonder if that chapter is more of like a bridge for people who don't understand singleness do you think that could be how it was meant or is it still like because i just think there are married people who have no clue how hard it is for single people and they look at them down their nose and think, why aren't you married? Man, your life must be so easy. And they say things like that to them. And then that single goes home feeling horrible and just really struggling. They, they, what, they would want this or it's really hard or yeah. they're alone when they come home. I could see that chapter being very helpful for married people who read it. But maybe that's not how it came off. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get that vibe, but I okay. can see the audience is a, a broad audience to both uh, married and unmarried. Christians. Okay. Because if it's myths, I could see where he wants to help the church to think, oh, all these singles' lives are so much easier because I don't have two right. kids or five kids mm-hmm. and a house and bills and dealing with right. some, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, he talks about his own struggles with some, you know, I'm not going to ever have any children. Yeah. Um, and so how that has been a burden. And also just, um, it was a very personal chapter for him. You okay. could tell. And so I guess as a person who has the gift of singleness that, uh, um, this might be a personal takeaway for me, the person who has the gift of singleness that, that is going to live their life for the glory of the Lord, even if they're very intentional in their ministry and their, their calling that God has called them to, like Sam with a pastoral mm-hmm. ministry and a writing ministry, he can do a lot of stuff because he's single. Yeah. Um, they still have some of those same struggles. Okay. 
whereas I see the Apostle Paul and I read through some of his kind of writings and I just don't ever have a perception that he would have struggled with, oh, I'm never going to have any kids or, oh, I, I don't, I don't have a, a security that a family might have. Uh, like one of the things is I live by myself, so I, I could die and nobody even knows it for, you know, two weeks or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things that he mentioned. So anyway. That sounds sad. It was. That's yeah. why it was sad. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of left me a little, especially at the end of the book, more as like a, a downer instead yeah. of maybe being more lifted up. Oh, I could see some people who don't understand that about a single. And so that's where the reading value probably it. is. Yeah, I kind of wonder okay. if that would help. Just because maybe so. there's single people in your church and you've never thought of them that way. Yeah. And now maybe you as a married couple might be more intentional about including them. Yeah. I don't know. So, Jump in. You you were writing notes. You ready all for over. the surprise of the episode? Mm. Go for it. So, surprise of the episode. I told Tim, and I did not read this book, and I did not read this book because I got it on Audible for free, and I actually listened to the whole thing <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> You're horrendous. So, but, but here's the thing: I I didn't want you to know that I'd read it. Because I didn't want you to filter any comments through like, well, what did Charlie think of that? Oh, that was good. So Charlie. actually, I, I he juked you. I just went through the book, Whoa. and so a lot of the stuff that you commented on, yeah, I would agree with you. It's whenever you listen to a book. So I didn't read it; I listened to it, mm-hmm. and so and and the audiobook is not narrated by himself; it's someone else. And hearing other authors who've gone through that, they don't like how a narrator doesn't catch the right tone Mm -hmm. and so the it's like that narrator's inflecting and emphasizing things that maybe aren't supposed to be Mm -hmm. so it's it's like i don't even know if i got the correct shape of what it's supposed to be like so i'd love i need to read okay what are your thoughts that myth number two the whole gift language um you know i like i like the simplicity of what he says but i there's a there's a couple of points where you're like i don't really know if that's actually from the bible i think he broadens it out too much and and some people who don't have the gift of singleness need to are confused yeah. and think oh i might have it and i'm like no you don't you're just single right now you need to make preparations in your own personal and spiritual yeah. life and physical life for marriage. So I'll say, I think you said this at one point, I actually thought throughout the book, I thought he presented a pretty balanced approach because there were, there were times he was kind of working through something and I'm like, yeah, but, and then like two paragraphs later, he'd be like, and now here's this. And I thought, I thought he balanced himself out uh, specifically with the, um, the whole pastoral discussion. So it's myth five or six, like it hinders ministry as someone who was a single pastor, like what he said is spot on. It's Hmm, like, there were things that I could do that pastors with wives and kids could not do. Mm -hmm. However, he, and he talks about this. He's like, but think about the pastor who, whose wife honorably takes some of the tasks away. Not that that's what a wife has to do, but he's like, there's a partnership. And his, his illustration is if you want to go fast, single pastor, if you want to go farther, you need a partner. And he's like, and he he mentioned this really unique point of pastors in the UK that they actually give single pastors an extra like half day off throughout the work week yeah, so that they can take care of the stuff at home. And, and what I realized was that specifically was like, you're just busying yourself in ministry. And then you're like, oh wait, what am I going to eat? Yeah. What am I going to go grocery shopping? Where am I going to do grocery shopping? What am I going to cook? What am I going to do the dishes? Like, oh, I don't have any clean clothes. Like, and like none of that stops for a single guy in ministry. And I found that particularly difficult. Like, like, cause you're, you're just not, you like you go, 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 go. You're meeting with this guy. You're going to this thing. And a lot of the events of the church are organized around like when families have time. Yeah. Right. And so a single pastor has to accommodate the family schedule. And then like, so when, when does the single person get the like accommodation to like complete the tasks of everyday life? And I did find that. To, so like that resonated with me. Um, and that's where you guys have heard me say, I've, I've thought really hard about if I had the opportunity to go back into pastoral ministry, while I don't think I need to be married, I see the w- wise 
practical benefit of having a partner alongside of you. Yeah. Um, and what, what he concluded on like, does a pastor need to be married? We actually almost agree. So I've, I've got our, my article single and ready to minister pull up. It looks really good. Very nice. I, I conclude almost the same way. So he, he says, you know, Paul expects pastors to be married, but they're not required to be married. If we took that literally, they'd have to have multiple children, right. yep. all that. Yep. And that's almost verbatim what my article walks through. Yep. But I also say a church or search committee would have a few more ways to test the quality of a married candidate. On this basis, a husband or father seeking the pastoral role might be preferred compared to a single candidate. This, however, should not bar a man from consideration. If a single pastoral candidate truly meets the character requirements of the pastoral office, he should not be overlooked on the basis of his marital status, which we, he and I agree. Um, and he was a single pastor, which is cool. Um, so I, I think there's, there's good balance throughout there, but the, it's funny, that last myth where I, I actually think as I listened to it, I was like, you know, if I could tell everyone in my church something about what singleness is like, I think they should read this chapter. Yes, and, and just hearing it, I would agree with you. And, and, and he highlights this point that I've lived. So he, he talks about like, do you realize what it's like for a married per, or a single person to go like May to September every year and go to wedding after wedding mm-hmm. after wedding? And then you get asked at every one, well, when's you're going to be next? And are you, are you still single? And then, and then what, what's happening as those people get married is your friends are leaving you. And he Uh, vividly describes that. Oh yes. And, and as I listened to that, I thought of all the guys that now it's like, if I really want to be in their life, I have to be in their life. Right. Like, and he talks about that. Like, oh yeah, we're, you know. Come over anytime. Come over anytime. And which is translated like, we're never going to reach out to you, but you just come. And so like, he, he, he He walks that that line really well. Uh And again, it's just like some of his previous points. It's anecdotal. Uh It's not exegetical. Right. Um, You know, sure. You don't, you don't hear Paul talking about that. But I also think just because Paul doesn't mention it doesn't mean, well, then he was never lonely. You know, like he never thought about not having kids. Uh, I think that would be like a huge misstep to be like, well, since Paul never wrote about these in his epistles. It'd be an argument from silence. I recognize that. Yeah. But the the spirit. Just like, just like Jesus never punched a donkey in the face, right? Which Sam talks about earlier in his book. It's like, oh, well, the Bible never says not to do that, so I can do it, right? Well, why would you punch a donkey in the face? Mm-hmm. Well, the Bible doesn't say I can't. Um, but so I'll just say that that is a real experience for singles. Sure. The battle there is to not be bitter and not like crawl in a hole and, and just wallow in pity because you shouldn't do that. And you do have a church. And you should be active in that church. And if you cho- if you want to be the person sitting at home lonely, you will be that person. If you want to be involved in people's lives and find joy and satisfaction in those relationships, you will be that person. And it's it, it's not a dichotomy of either I have to do it all or they have to do it all. I think where that chapter is really helpful is it would help people understand. Um, how to interact maybe a little bit better with single people. Um, for example, and as I was thinking this through, I was like, does that happen to me? Or what do I think about that? And like, I'm trying to like paint the picture and, uh, I've, I've had it happen where it's like, you know, there's, there's like certain events of the calendar where it's like, you're expected to be with a group of people. And then someone at church will like realize last minute, like, Oh wait, what about that? That Mm -hmm. guy. Like, well, if you don't have anywhere else to go, we'd love to have you. Yeah. And they think they're being really kind, but what they're doing is like, mm-hmm. we haven't thought of you until this moment. Yep. And now we feel obligated to invite you. So come, we'd love to have you. And, you know, it's funny how that never happens on just a normal Tuesday night or some random day in the middle of the month. It's like these big moments where like, oh, I bet that guy feels lonely. And I bet he doesn't have a place to go. So for these like three or four really big events, let's invite him. 
but there's never an invitation to like a normal, like, Hey, we're just having dinner. Come over. Which when you do that, you, you show that it's not a real relationship. And, and I'm sensitive to that. It's not that it's not a real relationship. It's just a different level of relationship than you might think it is. That's fair. But I, I would, I would encourage church members to incorporate a single all of the time. Not just on moments where you think they feel lonely and need a place to go. Sure. Um, and I, I can count, you know, outside of like regular church gatherings, it just it's very uncommon for a young married couple to be like, hey, let's invite the single person over for dinner. Because mm-hmm. who do they invite? Oh, here's a young married group. Let's invite them over. Or we have small kids. Let's invite this family with small kids. And that happens naturally. Because, oh, they all play soccer together or they're all in the same age group at church. And, and so that happens and, and it, and that's good. It, it does get missed Mm -hmm. at times that it's kind of a tack on to a lot of ministries of like, well, let's make sure they have a place to go. And, um, you know, so there, there is, I think that is a real phenomena, not, and, and, that doesn't let a single person off the hook. Like they should be involved in the lives of people in their church in a real way, mm-hmm. just like the married people or families should be involved in the single people's lives in a real way. Um, that being said, um, I, I think he puts it this way in that last chapter. There, there really isn't anything that's like by itself. That's like, woe is me. This is horrible. But it's funny because Tim and I have talked about this off the air like a number of times about like dating and getting married and all that. And there's a phrase that I use that I've used to you that he actually uses too. I don't know if you caught that. But he talks about the cumulative effect of all of those little moments Mm -hmm. where it's, it's not like going home and not having someone there is a problem. But when it's like, day after day after day after day year after year it's those little mundane moments do add up Hmm. and there is a cumulative social pressure that does affect single people and where that normally has come up for tim and i it's like when you ask a girl out and she says no we'll just ask another one well after you've been rejected a handful of times you kind of it affects you it's like there's not a lot of uh, you know I would hope that people have an awareness of like, maybe I should like take some downtime here and really think my, think through the approach. But, uh, so I, I, I liked that emphasis that there isn't really something that's like wretchedly horrendously bad about being single, but it's, I, and hearing from you guys, I think it's very similar to marriage where there's a lot of little struggles that add up over time Mm -hmm. and they're just different. So like where you yep. guys have to go through the bedtime routine every day and that by itself is maybe not like really horrible, Mm-mm. but day after day after day after day, like they don't stay in bed, they won't go to sleep, they won't be quiet. It's just the opposite. It's like, I'm by myself. It's really quiet again. Like mm-hmm. I haven't heard from anybody and th- there's the cumulative toll of that. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought that was a really unique perspective on that, that um, just like the little mundane things can like weary a couple and can Mm -hmm. weary a family there are little mundane things that weary a single person like eating alone doing the dishes again and again and again by yourself like folding your laundry you know or it's like i've i've heard uh families complain about things that i would love to have Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. and and it's you almost want to be like maybe you shouldn't complain about that and it, but the shoe goes on the other foot where it's right. like, I can like complain about something and you're like, that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Some solitude? Quiet and solitude? Are you kidding me? And so, but I actually think that's one of the best things about his book is I think he presents both sides of that with some <clears throat> decent balance. So I, I got two thoughts. I really appreciate that. That's very helpful. I really think that you said the inviting people over at calendar events. It's interesting. I don't fault people because, you know, here it is. It's Thanksgiving. You're like, oh, does that person have anyone to be with? And I think, I actually think that's a godly thing. And I think you're saying that like, oh, but I want to care for that person. But then life is so busy 
that there's not the cure church or social cue to help remind us. And then like the other X number of days on the calendar, you're just not thinking of that person over there, but a, like maybe perhaps an illustration that would show that 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 should be addressed is when it comes to family gatherings of large families where you have some siblings who are married with kids and then you have a sibling or two who are single, they're never forgotten because they're family. You don't forget your single family members just because you're married with kids. And so as a church, it would be good to think of the singles in your church more like family members and less like the single people at the church. And maybe that, that illustration with what you said would be helpful because you know, your family, you're not going to forget about your, or if you do, there's problems the next time it's Thanksgiving, like, man, you haven't called me at all or whatever. So that was one thought. I like that. Um, and then the second thought is I do think, I just think that's a helpful chapter from what I mean, I haven't read it. You have, but but it does sound helpful because if you're going to, Oh, here's what I was gonna say. If the Bible says we should bear one another's burdens. And I think what that chapter does is it helps married people to understand what the burdens like for single people. And if a married couple or a married family or married people are really serious about bearing one another's burdens, that's a really helpful chapter because yeah. that's the burden you may not think of naturally. Mm-hmm. Like what you're saying, like the shoes on the other foot, we all have different burdens. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, and I, I will, I will, if there, if there was one thing I could let everyone in our church know. And so, and I am very thankful. I love my church. And I think every like holiday, like big thing, someone does always be like, you know, 4th of July. Someone's like, Charlie, you have a place to go. You want to come here and do this? And, you know, and, but I will say anecdotally, it seems like the only other events that I get invited to is where it's like, well, let's try to get the single girls and single guys together so that they can maybe find each other. And I'm, 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 I'm searching in my mind to think like, when was the last time it was just like like almost no strings attached, like not like the holiday obligation, not like the let's get a couple together. Like we're Mm -hmm. matchmaking. When was the last time? And I'll say this in this way. When was the last time you married couple invited a single person over to your home just so they were a part of your family on a, on a, on a regular busy Thursday night, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I don't know the last time that someone was like, Hey, Charlie, just come on over. We'd love to have you. And it wasn't like, uh, oh, does he have a place to go? Or, oh, let's hook him up with so-and-so. That's interesting, too. Married people, I don't think, should feel super guilty about that, though. No, because they're married and have kids. They have other responsibilities. This is not a heaping of guilt. This is a, hey, here's another opportunity where you could serve people. And then number two, something I'm learning from this is I think there are times I've invited single people to come at various holidays. And I've said it the way you do. And now hearing you say it, I realize I'm never going to say it again. I'm not going to say, Hey, do you have anywhere to go? Do you want to come to our place? Mm-hmm. Cause that sounds like I only am asking you, like mm-hmm. if I intentionally want you to come over cause I care about it, I should Hey, would you, we would love to have you over for Thanksgiving yeah. this year. As long as you're not busy with something else, we'd love to have you over. Would you like to come? That is a mm-hmm. better way to communicate that. I love you and care about you than, Hey, if you have nowhere else to go, you can come to our place. Yeah. I mean, hear, hearing it from the other direction makes me think like, man, I cringe that I said that to people. So, well, and, and, and it's, and I don't think that's wrong because I yeah. think you're right. I think it's, it's good for a church to recognize like, hmm. oh, hey, so-and-so like, yeah, hmm. come over. Um, but I, I just think it's, you know, like if it's, why is it so important at like Thanksgiving, Christmas and Easter that you really want to make sure I have a place to eat, but there's no other time of the year when you ever extended that invite to me. Hmm. And I can also see where as a single person, <laughs> man, you'd have to guard against bitterness yeah, and anger. And, and to be fair, every time I get that invitation, I try to go That's good. even, even good. if like, um, cause I, I want to, I want to yeah. be a part of people's lives mm-hmm. too. And it takes, it takes two to tango, you know, like, yeah, that's, and that's a really good thing. Cause I think. Like to Tim's point, I do think single people can be selfish and want to be served yeah. rather than serve. And that's going to cause just as many issues or more Mm -hmm. if you're like looking for the families with kids to like, yeah, meet your needs, you know, like that, that's dangerous and you can't. And and I've, I don't know. I I've known I'm thinking of. It's an unreasonable expectation. Yeah. There's, there's a little bit of victimhood there. There's a little bit of, it's funny. There's a little bit of, you're not being kind to me 
that's actually revealing you're very selfish in that moment. Yeah. So well, and I think I think hmm. that there's being friendly and then there's ways to be a good friend. Yes. And I would say a, a way to be a good friend of a single is to, you know, be intentional and careful about, you know, like you're not trying to just get them married. There's nothing wrong with them, you know, mm -hmm. like to assume that every single is selfish and that's why they're single is obviously unreasonable. Um, and so, so I don't think it, you know, but I do think singles need to be admonished to be more active in the life of their church. Hmm. So. Tim, you look like you got a quote. Is, <clears throat> I don't know how much I like how the conversations kind of developed, but you can read through pages 129 through 133 of uh, Alberry's um, discussion on this point. And the truth of the matter is when you have a couple that are married, they have a different level of friendship than uh, two friends. And two friends who are both single, their relationship changes after a person gets married. Mm. And uh, that's what is a difficult thing about singleness, which he mentions on page 129. Even when a friendship is maintained with a married friend, it often becomes lopsided. The married friend no longer needs you as much as he or she did. It's just the nature of the relationship. Mm -hmm. At that point, there is a change. And so as a result, the relationship takes a more asymmetrical uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so um, he doesn't necessarily say that that's not the way. Well, he does kind of say it needs to be less asymmetrical. But at the same time, he doesn't deny that it's going to be more asymmetrical because there's somebody else that is more important in the relationship now yeah. that wasn't there before. And so as far as like sympathizing with singles, I feel more the chapter can kind of foster more of the bitterness that's, that can str struggle within a single so I guess maybe what I would say, this would be a good chapter for married people to read, Yeah, but less helpful for singles. That's, that's exactly the point that I was making. Okay. I like that. That would be mine. I think it'd be really helpful, mm -hmm. you know, for that, for that reason. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what Andy was agree. pointing out as well. Yeah. Cause I think, yeah, that sounds like a good married couples chapter mm -hmm. and it, and it doesn't sound like it's against singles, but I think if you're a bitter single, do you think that would be prov provoking more bitterness or something like that. So as, as I, and again, I didn't read it. I listened to it. And so as I listened to that chapter, I found myself doing a couple of things. So I would, I would kind of nod in agreement, like, yeah, okay, I get that. And then especially when he talked about those, that specifically, like you're, you're so close with these people and then they get married. And I have, I have a handful or a dozen or more of, relationships that fall directly into that category as do everybody you know married people experience the same exact thing like you guys you know have friends as married people who your friendship is much different now that you're married and they're married mm -hmm. like that that is reality yeah and so to just deny that and be bitter is the wrong response but i do think it's helpful for maybe not the like i i wouldn't necessarily want like the married couples that are my friends to be like, look what you've done. Like that, that's not the the point. But I, I think couples in a church realizing that, you know, this, this guy in his late twenties, thirties or forties, or this girl in her late twenties, thirties and forties has watched dozens of their closest friends have a completely different life and, and, and do what they should do. Go be responsible for their spouse and their kids. And then that singles in a position, well, okay, now who were my closest friends? aren't anymore. And when you get married and you have kids, you have people right there that you're responsible to be with. And then there's the single who watched the friend leave maybe once, maybe dozens of times who then still goes home and, and, and is by themselves. And I don't think that's unbearable, but just as real as the married couple who has a completely new set of needs and responsibilities, just as real as that is the single who's like, well, now who are my friends? Um, and, and they've changed. And, and I think married couples in the church realizing that that's the common experience of those singles is helpful as they try to be a good friend and church member to those people. 
Um, and like, if, if, if I had someone trying to be my friend and it was only like, well, we're obligated to invite you like these three times a year, I'd be like, well, that's not a good friend. <laughs> like, why would I want to yeah. spend time with that? Per like, Charlie, the only reason I'm inviting you over is because I'm just pretty sure you don't have anywhere else to go. Would you like to come over here? <laughs> that's no friend would ever do that. So married couples don't do that to the singles in your church. And I, I, I think that is a a helpful perspective. You should have the final word on that one, Tim. You have any more thoughts? Or? I'll let Albury have the final word, maybe. Ooh, I like it. So on page 132 and 133, he recounts uh, a relationship um, where uh, he had a very good, good relationship. As a single person, my friends are a lifeline. They're like family. They're with the ones with whom I feel most known and loved. And then, of course, they get married. And one specifically uh, visited, he says, I recently visited a close friend, and as I was leaving, we talked about when we would, see, we would next see each other. Where, when are you free? I asked. I guess we're probably looking at three months' time, he said. Life was busy. I was heartbroken. Three months' time. A bit of context. He is one of my closest friends, and he said many times that I am one of his. We've known each other for many years. In fact, few people know each other as well as we do and enjoy such openness. It's a rare gift. His home is a 75-minute drive from my home, and that's not merely down the street, admittedly. Okay, do you understand? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like they're spatially yeah. separated. He's yep. now married, so there's a lot of factors. He's got a busy life. But it's not like we have to cross time zones to see each other. I've driven farther than that just for a good curry, which was also interesting. He would go 75 <laughs> minutes just to get a good meal. I mean, maybe for a good cup of coffee. Uh, <laughs> so continuing, three months seemed a very long time. Life was busy. I get that. But it wasn't that he was heading overseas or preparing to go through a major life event, such as having a baby or moving to a new home. It was normal stuff making life so busy rather than anything exceptional. What hurt was that he seemed kind of fine with the three-month interim. He said it in a somewhat apologetic tone. Yet while it wasn't ideal to him, it clearly wasn't a huge problem either. It felt like he was saying he could quite easily do without me. No big biggie, no biggie. But I can't get by with seeing such close friends only once every three months. It made me realize that while my close friends feel essential to me, I might not necessarily feel essential to them. And that can really hurt. What they are to me, their families are to them. I exist much lower down their list of needs. That would be maybe a good summary of what we are trying and, and communicating. And I would, I think, Albury specifically in this situation realized his relationship with this friend was now at a different level. And and as a, as a single listener that's listening through this, that's what happens when people get married. And he wasn't being critical of his friend, but he kind of was. Well, I think there's, and I don't know if that was justified. Well, I think he, I think the because the guy's situation and he admitted it was very complex and that's just the way that friendships can change after people marry. So I think there's some helpful things for us to think through to uh, the church, to love the singles in the church, and then also for the singles to realize that relationships, even marriage, is temporary. And sometimes we have to say goodbye to those relationships that are just, they, they change as, as people move through different stages of life um, and just acknowledge that that's uh, the way things work sometimes in this world. So then would you rank this? Do you have a ranking or do you want to? Yeah, I think I still put it on the goodness scale. I'd say it's the best book on singleness that I've read. Okay. I Excellent. admittedly don't know how many I've read. <laughs> so I don't... That was good. I, well, I, no, I should rephrase that. I've actually read several books on singleness and they're usually by like Hannah Shermerhorn or whatever. That one was what, dumb. What, what number would so you put on that? I would put this probably... Uh, probably yes. I would put it at a six. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I would put this at a six. 
So what would you put it at, Charlie? I was thinking like a five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think it is. I think it's a good book. So it sounds like it would be a good tool um, to help both sides think about the other side. Yes. I just think that his category of singleness is too broad. Okay. Uh, some of the people that he considers and talks about and includes in the gift of singleness are okay. just simply unmarried. Okay. And they're just yes. not yet married. So, so the big critique would be that uh, he probably needs to narrow the gift of singleness idea and account for like MacArthur's point that there are selfish people out yeah, there. And exclude them from, yeah. and then those people need to be told, you need to grow up. Okay. And, and then get married. And then aside from that critique, sounds uh -huh. like pretty helpful book. Yes. Overall. Okay. Uh -huh. All right. Hmm, that was a that was a really good that was a really good discussion there. I wasn't expecting that today. You think it'll be the only oh. single discussion we have on this topic? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll give you a point well, for that. Well, why don't just we have, one, just one point. Just one single point. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we have a final thought from God's word? Sure. So listener, there are times where we coordinate everything in the podcast. Um, and there are other times we just show up and we've got it, what we've prepared ahead of time. And it sort of dovetails. I think the last episode on friendship that just happened to dovetail really nicely. Um, but I wanted to talk about, I just want to have a short meditation on God's sovereignty today. And so I think it might actually dovetail really well. So, so when you say sovereignty, sometimes if you're either a Calvinist or an Arminian, you get your cackles up, you get kind of like ready for war. And I would just say that you can use any definition of sovereignty that you want right now. I think there's one that works way better. Um, it may even be predestined to be better. I don't know. But um, I would say that sovereignty is this, that God has total control at all times. And I don't, I don't really care what side of the tulip you fall on. Um, sovereignty is God's in total control. Well, I want you to think about that right now, and I want you to think about your life. So it, we all have good days. We all have bad days. We all have days where we really palpably feel God's blessing. And then we all have days where it's just really hard. And so what's your week been like? What's your life been like? Um, when it gets really hard, I, th I think that sometimes it's the time when either we think about God's sovereignty the most. Sorry, I don't sorry that was Siri thinking I was talking to him. So that's a horrible way to interrupt a devotional. Um, we can think about God's sovereignty the most, or we can think about it the least. Sometimes when life gets really hard and it gets really painful, the reason we think about God's sovereignty is we are wondering why God would allow such difficulty. And then other times when it's very hard, we forget that God is in control and nothing surprises him. So as I was thinking through that, because our family's walking a very hard road, um, a verse that's been helpful for me is Job 121. So in Job, I want you just to think briefly about the difficulty Job goes through before he responds to God's sovereignty. In the beginning chapter of Job, he's given a glowing review biblically. He's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, he turns away from evil. May it be that if God wrote our own epitaph or our own like review, that he would say those things about us. And then it shows how just absolutely prosperous Job has been. He's got all these animals. You can, what I did is when I preached this multiple times, I add up the value of those animals today and I try to get like an approximation of his wealth. And he really was super, super wealthy. Put him up at the Bezos, uh, Gates, you know. Um, whoever's the wealthiest, but he, he's up there at the time and he has 10 children. Now today we think of children as a nuisance and a bother. We don't not here on this podcast. We don't, but our culture views children as an, as a, a block or a break to keep us from what we want. But that wasn't Job. He had children and everyone would have thought this guy is the most blessed by God person. And in chapter one, he loses all his money, and he loses all his children. Now, before I get to this next thing, I think we all know what he says next, but I really want you to think, in your life, 
what would be equivalent to losing all your money and all your children? If you lost all your money, you'd literally have nothing. You'd be destitute. You couldn't provide for anyone you've been providing for. And the future would be totally fearful because where are you going to get your money? But harder than that would be losing children. And if you don't have children, consider losing close family members. I would think it would be very similar. Now, in those moments, uh, the doctrine and the teaching of God's sovereignty does not stop. And, and, and Job understood that. And so in Job 121, as this has happened, he gets the news right one message after another that he's lost his camels, he's lost his oxen, he's lost all his, basically his animals, and then finally he loses all his kids. And so it says he arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground, and it always shocks me what it says next, and he worshipped, and he worshipped. And I would say that in our modern worship culture, the thing that would drive us to fall down in worship is probably not the worst news in the world. Um, especially in different parts of our Christian culture, it would be the sound and the tone of, and the feel of the moment. Uh, but it certainly, it might even be getting uh, exactly what we want in life. But I don't think it would be this. Not for everybody, probably for some. And then it says in verse, one, in verse 21, And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So the phrase, blessed be the name of the Lord. Believer, what are you going through? What is your life like? Is it the way you want it? Is it what you would have planned? In the midst of whatever you're going through, I would like you to ask and consider this, meditate on this. Can you say, the Lord is given, the Lord is taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so that's really all I want you to think about. I'm thinking about that in my own life. I'm sure you have areas in your life you need to think about that. Can you say, blessed be the name of the Lord? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast. The Thinklings want to remind our listeners that the Thinklings podcast is our personal production. Our conversations, book discussions, and viewpoints may not represent the views of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. Any questions or feedback should be directed to us at the Thinklings podcast.